Hey kids, what time is it? It's shooter time. (laughs) 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 What? All right, guys, welcome back to Spoiler Country. Um, come on in, let's do this. <laughs> That's my new thing, man. I'm, I'm gonna make you like it sooner or later. You're gonna be like, okay, it's what's hilarious was the whole time when you're laughing, you're like, you went out of focus, in focus, oh, out of focus, oh, in I focus. I gotta get a new camera. I'm using a webcam so people know it's the it's a C922 something, yeah. Anyways. It's time for an, it's time for an upgrade. Time for an upgrade. You gotta get a nice camera like I got right here, which makes me look so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's genetics that make you look beautiful, buddy. Ah, oh, thank you, sir. Thank look you. at that just flowing beard mane <laughs> and the and the nice gray white hair. At least you got a full head of hair, man. My <laughs> right. bald. Part three. Part three, man. Yes, the final yeah, one. On this one they talk about. The final one. Yep. Uh, Jeff and Jim talk about Jeff's favorite character, which I didn't know was Beta Ray Bill, right? Oh, so I thought Jeff's it was character. honestly. I thought it was uh, Green Lantern, Kyle Rayner. Yeah, well, I think I think he has Marvel, a Marvel and a DC, right? I think yeah. Marvel, it's it's Beta Ray Bill, DC. It's and Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's what I heard on this. But they talk about the time that uh, that Jeff met Jim at a convention and signed a poster, signed a comic form and stuff. And yeah, it's it's good, man. And again, this is the last the last bit of it. So we got this is a third hour of a three hour epic conversation with Mister Shooter. So it's this good. is. <laughs> this is probably the definitive three hour long interview with Jim Shooter you'll ever need. You know, yeah. he can go on for the rest of his life and say, Oh, you want to talk to me? Just go listen to the spoiler verse guys. That's oh, yeah. country guys that got it. Oh, yeah. It's all there. It's, it's epic. So, epic. Yeah. So, there you guys go. All Let's right. Do Let's do it. Let's do it. Spoiler I mean, the thing is, like, I, I understood exactly. I mean, and you know something, I love this. You know, they, one of the reasons they, they were going to wimp out is because they cared so passionately about the character. Mm. You know, I mean, it's like it's so funny with these guys. They, they you know, they're, they're you know, they're, they, they talk about, well, I, my characters would and I'm like your characters. All right. <laughs> fine. But, you know, I want them to feel that way. Yeah, I want them. And, and you walk down the hall. I would use this example. All the time. You walk down the hall and there's two full grown adult people arguing at the top of their lungs about who's stronger, Colossus or Spider-Man. <laughs> you know, and on, one, on, one, on one hand, you say, you know, grow up. And on the other hand, you say, no, 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 don't care that much. Right? Yep. So the fact that they originally just had a hard time giving up Phoenix, to me meant, boy, these guys are invested. You know, yeah. they, 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 they care. And, and look what they did. They did a brilliant job. That that one issue took X Men from high middle to top of the industry, where it stayed for twenty years. Pretty good, huh? Yeah, and you know, and I I think it's great because that the writers love the characters as much. Uh, most, yeah. the, the good writers love the characters as much as the readers. And I will say one of the coolest things that that I've been able to do in my life, I wrote on Comic Con. I you signed a print of Beta Ray Bill, of Thor, I think it was number 337 for me. And I thought yeah. it was really, it also signed a comic book of a uh, uh, first issue of Solar for me as well, which was fantastic of you. I really appreciate oh, thanks. that. Thanks. And Beta Ray Bill, for me, is has always been one of my favorite characters in, in Marvel. I mean, if, you, if I had to make a top five, Beta Ray Bill makes it to the top five. I would love to discuss 
the, the how it came about with you and, and Walt Simonson a little bit. So how, how did you help shepherd that storyline a little bit? Not much. I mean, basically, sales on floor were starting to crumble a little bit. And I went to the editor and uh, I said, what we, we have to do something to, you know, light a fire here, you know. And he said, there's nothing you can, more you can do with Thor. Everything you can do with Thor has been done, you know. I said, I should fire you right now. If that's what you think, you can't work here. Right. You know, and he, and he said, well, what, what do you want me to do? I said, well, we got to figure something out, you know. So word spreads that we're looking for a way to improve Thor. So Walt called me. He said, hey, I hear you're looking for someone to do uh, Thor. I said, yeah. And he said, he said, I want to do it. I said, oh, okay, sure. <laughs> Let's see, uh, Walt Simonson, uh, sure. So, so, so anyway, I talked to the editor and of course he was thrilled. And anyway, so then Walt's, you know, I mean, I kind of, he gave me sort of a vague overview of his, of his plans or the editor told me or whatever. I, anyway, but it's Walt. I thought, you know, he'll do fine. And, you know, he, he's in that certain class of people like Frank Miller became and, and, and Walt was and, you know, and, and also Archie Larry, that class of people where they know what they're doing. They, they, there's, they don't need me to tell them anything, right? You tell Larry something, he'll get, you know, peeved at you. But, you know, they know what they're doing. And, and so the thing is, oh, yeah, check on check on it. Sure, of course. They might, even they can make a mistake. But leave them alone. Get out of their way. Frank Miller's a force of nature. Stay out of his way. You know, and to the extent that I could, I did. So with Walt, I, I basically just stood back and applauded. I mean, when that first issue came out, it was great. I mean, I read it. I checked it out. I had to sign it out before it went. I thought, wow, if this thing, if, if we don't, people don't like this, I'm doing this all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, so of course, they did like it. It sold, it, it, because it was Walt, it had sold in a little better than usual on the direct market. Okay. Sold out instantly. And so all the direct market store guys are running around to the newsstands, buying them off the newsstands and then selling them for a marked up price. You know, so the newsstand mm. sales on that issue were like world record, like 80% or something. Yeah. You know, then, you know, and, and, and then it kept, you know, kept going. It, it, Walt kept it going and everybody, it just was, you know, one of the best storylines uh, we ever did. Yeah. You know, yeah. Walt uh, came to me one time, stuck his head in the door. He didn't even come in. He says, hey, Jim, I'm going to turn Thor into a frog, okay? <laughs> it's Walt. It's Walt. How bad could it be? I said, yeah. Okay. If anybody else had said they were turning Thor into a frog, I would have had some issues. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, fine, you know. Well, I think what I like most about the Beta Ray Bill run with Thor is that it really did focus on the idea of worthiness. And there's a lot about Thor and the yeah, Hammer. Yeah, I, 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 I like that too. I like that too. And, and, and Beta Ray Bill was just, you're, you're right, he's such a good character. He, he was... You know, that struck me right away that, that uh, Walt, you know, nothing there happened by accident. Walt knew what he was doing and he, he did it perfectly. And I, I thought, boy, this is good. This is so good. I felt the same way about a lot of things that we did. I, they go across my desk and I, I just think, man, this is, I'm in the middle of something wonderful here. And, and it's just, and I really, and I really like the fact, like I said, that when it did happen, it was, we, never seen before that another character could wield Thor's hammer, that someone else could be considered worthy of Thor. 
I mean, nowadays, I think they played it up too many. They have too many characters who have now carried the, the hammer. And I, and I, but at the time, it was a, such a big deal. It meant a lot about him. Yeah, that's that's just it. I mean, sometimes they'll come up with something good and then they'll run it into the ground. I don't think that happened while I was there. But, you know, it, 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 it does happen sometimes. You know, it's like... One time, it had, the one thing that happened, we had this writer named Peter David, and Peter David's really good, okay? But he was writing uh, The Hulk, okay? And he was new, he was brand new. I mean, he had been, he worked in the sales department, and then finally somebody gave him a shot at writing something that was pretty good, and, and then he kept going, became a writer. But at that point, he was still new to it. And he, he was playing this permutations game. It's like every issue, well, who's going to be The Hulk this issue? You know, yeah. <laughs> Rock, you know, a Betty, you know, Rick, you know, and then we'll have two Hulks over the gray one and we'll have this one and Doc Samson and, you know, yeah. and, and I, I, I talked to the editor about it, but I mean, he just kept getting better and better and, you know, let him go, let him go. Well, I, I think it, I think what the issues, like I said, as writers get too hooked on a good idea, maybe is that, I don't know if there's a laziness to that or is it just... An enthusiasm to try it your way in, in your version of it. I think it's both. I think that you know some people latch on to an idea and they act like they'll never have another one. And you know, and some people, yeah, they get lazy. Or else, you know what? More often than lazy, especially if it's a pretty good guy, is that you know you're doing a serial medium, and you need to up with something like now that's why mm. chris that one time went to lunch with his editor and he was like he was stuck for a storyline he just you know he was doing several books he's got all this stuff going on in his head and he just couldn't pick pick out something for the x-men i said you know pick a good guy a bad guy and and and, and chris that's all he needs <laughs> you know just that's all you can give him the least little thing man you know he didn't need me to you know help him he just mm. you know we just needed to somebody to, you know, kick, give them a kick in the right direction. And, and so, so I think this, that that's part of it is that pressure to come up with something every, every month mm. and uh, see it now, but there's a way to handle that. Okay. And you, we talk about being invested in the characters and stuff like that. Chris was so invested and so possessive. He could not bear the thought of anyone else doing an issue of the X-Men. Okay. So for 17 years that I know about, he did every single issue. And I remember nights, I remember mornings where he would come straggling and having been up all night for maybe the second night in a row, and he delivered in time. Mm. Okay. I mean, so, so, you know, Chris put a pressure on himself that wasn't there. Now, okay, who did it right? Well, all right, Chris did it right. But, but who did it better? Walt. Walt asked after he was doing Thor... For a little while, he told me, he says, he says, in a month or so, a couple months, I need a break. You know, because I, I, he was doing a lot of work. And so he gave us, he told us, you know, this issue through this issue, I need somebody else. And I'll help them. I'll, you know, we'll, we'll make it good. It'll fit. And, and so we had plenty of time to find some pretty good people to, you know, it's hard to Bill Walsh's, but we, we, we got to the, those issues were planned well, prepared well, they were ready on time, and nothing rushed about them with the best people we could find and the best best stories we, we could do. I say we. I, I was just 
signing them out. But, but, you know, I mean, so he did it the right way. He planned it. And so we were able to cope with it in a very, you know, productive and, and useful way. But I think some guys, you know, it's like, geez, I have to come up with a story this month. And they just, you know, pick a, pick a movie they like and mm. do a version of it. Well, one interesting thing that I that you did that was extremely ballsy. In 1989, you founded Valiant Comic Books with, yep. with a group of investors. Yeah. That, that 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 was. I mean, that was before the 90s boom when every company tried to come with a new thing. 89 was before all that. I think that's. Yeah. I think that predates Image by a year or two, if memory serves as well. Because I, I helped Image get started. We were already in business at Valiant, and then the Image guys left Marvel and they were starting their company. One of the guys called me up, one of this, it was like seven of them, one of them called me up and he said, hey, Jim, how do you get lettering done? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, they, they were artists. They didn't know all the production stuff. Right, right. And so I, I gave them some names and I told them, they answered some other questions and then they wanted to know some technical production stuff. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to put my production manager on the line, JJ Jackson. And she was on the phone with him for a long time telling him, you know, about separations, the printer, to, who to call, you know, what you needed to know, what you needed to do. So we got the, we helped get them going, you know, and then of course, once they're going, they're selling millions of copies. But yeah, I mean, what happened was with Valiant is okay. I, I had an ugly parting with Marvel. They, they were selling the place. I was unhappy with them kind of railroading the people who had built the place because they were. They, they cashed out the pension plan. They took took away the 401k. They, they eviscerated our health insurance. They they, they kind of stopped some of the programs that I did. Some of these incentive programs and stuff that I did. Walt came to me with a with a French edition of Star Simons. He says, "How come I didn't get my foreign royalties for this?" I said, "I'll look into it." So I went upstairs, and the financial officer, who wasn't one of the owners, there were two guys who were owners: Jim Galton and Joe Calamari. And then five other guys from, from Cadence. Well, actually, eventually four, because they got rid of one. So, but Kaplan was on their on their team, all right? And I, I said, why, why isn't Walt getting his foreign royalties? And he says, we're not paying those anymore. So what do you mean you're not paying them? Said, we, have a, we have a policy. This is a company policy. It's, it's, it's legally binding. You can't do that. He said, when they come with their lawyers, maybe we'll think about it. You know? Huh. I, I, I said, Why? And, you know, I mean, like, I didn't need this explained to me, but it was all about putting money on the bottom line. Because when you sell right. a company like Marvel, you you get a multiple of the bottom line of the pre-tax profit. Yeah. Okay? Multiple of earnings. And so your multiple might be 25. Okay. So every dollar you save, you get $25 back. You know, every dollar you make that you can put on the bottom line, you get $25 more. So So these guys were greedy and they just wanted to, you know, get every penny they could on the bottom line my joke is they used to count the paper clips at the end of the day that's short that's short study because you're going to lose the good talent that made the comic book sell because no one wants to get screwed like that I, I actually had a conversation with one of these guys one time and i said i said you're crazy because we're on the verge of making this company blow out and become big we could be mm. bigger than disney you know i said we're just just starting their opinion was that all that we had accomplished was like kind of a flash in a pan, a fad maybe, better get the money and get out while the getting's good before people wise up and, you know. None of these guys had ever opened a comic book. They didn't care about them at all. 
they were sort of amazed that anybody cared, you know, and, and, and I said, no, you don't get it. The, the, you know, the, we're doing something good here. We're building these properties. We're building franchises. We're building these, you know, it's going to be big. It's going to be great. It's going to be great for the guys that do it. And it's going to be even better for you because you're owners, you know, and they wouldn't listen. So, you know, I mean, they, they did the short-sighted route and they, they got their millions, but, but I mean, uh, we could have, we could have been bigger than this, you know, it just greed. Anyway. So, okay. So it gets ugly with them. I'm like a labor leader. I'm always screaming at them. They're always screaming at me. The reason they didn't fire me instantly is because A, I was a key man. They couldn't sell the company without me. I didn't know that. So I had power that I could have used that I didn't know. Mm. Uh, Paul Levis would have known. He went to business school. I didn't. I, <laughs> I learned everything seat of my pants. Right. You know, I learned from Morton Weisinger. And okay. So I had all this power that I didn't know I had. They could not sell the company without me because I was a key man. All right. So I'm up there arguing with them. That's one reason they didn't fire me. The second reason they didn't fire me is because Joe Calamari told me once, he said, he said, we can't fire you. He says, you're the only one who knows who could replace you. <laughs> well, after the deal was completed and the, the fact that I was a key man wasn't as important. And when they finally thought they found somebody who could replace me, Tom DeFalco, then they fired me. Mm. And, Whatever, I was glad to get out of there by that point. Anyway, all right, where were we going with that? You, you uh, asked uh, me. Uh, Valiant Comics. Valiant. Yes. Okay, so they had, during the time I was, you know, spending all my time screaming at them, they did everything they could to undercut me. They, they if I wanted to give somebody a raise, no. If, if somebody said bad things about me, they get a raise. They, they did everything they could to blame Kirby on me, to blame Gerber on me, to blame everything on me. You know, the, the Spanish Inquisition was my fault. Hmm. And, and they succeeded pretty well. You know, I mean, like the, the, you know, nobody defended me in the fancies. Nobody, you know, they, they, nothing was done to help me, right? And, and they, 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 like I said, they were undercutting me with my own people because, because all of these programs and stuff are, are being taken away. And the only guys that I, the, the, the only person that the creative people knew really was me. And I had always sort of been in, you know, been doing that stuff. And they were like, Jim, how come I, you know, don't get my royalties or why don't we have any health insurance anymore? And so it's a lot of it's going bad and it's getting blamed on me. Like, well, what, what's wrong? Why don't you fix this? And I'm trying, guys, I'm going, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm trying to fix it. I'm working on it. Okay. But I, if I say upstairs is screwing you, then they all quit and go to BC. Mm. And it's Jim Shooter's driving talent away. So, you know, it's a rock and a hard place. I fought my best. I did my best. Right toward the end there, they had undercut me to the point where I'm walking around my floor, which I hadn't spent a lot of time on. And I'm seeing people in offices I didn't hire. Who are you? I'm the editor of such and such. What? You know, they basically were edging me out every way they could. And when they finally thought they had, they were ready, they, they fired me. Okay. Fine. So I think a uh, former editor-in-chief of Marvel will be able to get work. Well, first of all, Marvel wouldn't give me there was There was an edict from above. Nobody is allowed to give me work. I did one story for Salakrab. He, he got really yelled at over it. I And everything else, they just said, nope, no thanks, not interested. You know, even when editors wanted to use me, then they'd call me back and they'd say, you know, we were told we can't. Okay. So I can't get any work there. DC wasn't doing all that well, so there wasn't much opportunity there. And I was struggling to find, to survive, you know? 
And so I thought, if I don't start something, if I don't make a job for myself, I'm going to starve to death. You know, so I started doing a bunch of things. I, I get, did get a couple jobs that weren't, weren't Marvel. I, I wrote an arena show, long story. I paid well. I got a consulting gig for Disney, kept me alive, long story. I, I did every little freelance thing I could find. I mean, I do little promotional one sheets for some company that did foreign film dis- distribution. I did, I actually, I actually wrote letters for people. Write letters, hundred bucks a letter, okay? Yeah. Because I, I, a friend of mine worked in this corporation, and told this. I guess some executive needed a, you know, was trying to write a letter, and she said, "Well, I have a friend who's a writer," and so they, he, she sent me his draft of the letter. It was like illiterate crap. Mm. So I made it a nice formal business letter and sent it back. They paid me a hundred dollars, and then word spreads, and all these executives, you know, calling me up, you know, write me a letter, okay. Anything. Just trying to keep the body and soul together. So then it looked like Marvel, the, the company that bought Marvel was failing. And Marvel wasn't doing all that great to either for a while there. Marvel's sales had fallen. The company that owned Marvel was called New World Pictures, which changed it, changed its name into New World Entertainment. They were losing a million dollars a day. And they were oh, financed wow. with junk bonds. You remember Michael Milken of the junk bonds? Super high interest, you know. Yeah, yeah, we'll let you. 350 million bucks, but you know, the interest is ridiculous. Okay. Well, they were financed with junk bonds. They got a huge interest burden. They're losing a million dollars a day, a day, the whole corporation, not Marvel. And so I looked at this, I'm keeping track of this stuff in the trades and the journal and stuff. And I said to myself, they're going to have to sell something. They're running out of money and they're going to, they, they running out of their junk bond money and they're going to have to sell something. What do they got that's worth anything? Marvel. So I put together a little team. And got in, introduced to some people at Chase Bank. They became my financial advisor, and we we made one one attempt. Where we were told Marvel will never be sold. Two weeks later, they call us and say they're having an auction. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so we entered the auction. We tried to buy Marvel. This this process took almost a year. We were the only bidder. There were nine people made the first cut. Nine companies made the first cut. We were the only one who actually put in a final bid. Why? Because the other companies couldn't get management. How do I know? Because they all called me. <laughs> okay. And so we were the only ones who put in a bid. We bid $81 million. And, uh, and then one morning, uh, we thought we won. We signed papers and everything. It's great. You know, we're, we're making plans. And so uh, a couple of weeks later, my financial guy, my partner, who was the financial expert, he called me up like six in the morning. He says, have you read the journal? I said, it's Winston. It's six o'clock in the morning. No, I haven't read the journal. He said, Perlman bought Marvel. How, how can that be? And he said, well, Perlman was an insider at the selling company. He owned 20% of New World. Okay. In order to be part of the owner, uh, ownership and also be a buyer, you need an arm's length bid. Well, like say mine. And so he, we weren't given an opportunity to reply. There was no, there's a process called ratcheting where they pit you against each other. You know, no, none of that. He just bid a million and a half more than us and walked away with it. And old PS, as part of the deal, they redeemed $12 million in worthless paper for him. So he actually paid seven, 70 million. Jesus. And he borrowed 75. So he put 5 million in his pocket. Nice. <laughs> yeah, no, what a racket. You know, yeah. if, you're, if, you're, if you're big money and, 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 and all that, it's a whole different world. 
the the I, t- I asked why Chase guys. I said, you know, it's dirty pool. Can we sue? And they said, you'll you will never win. He said, you're right, but you will never win. He's got more lawyers, more money. He'll paper you to death, you know, and and he'll end up winning. Said, so why why go through it? And I said, all right, fine. And they explained <clears throat> it's kind of mergers acquisitions in those days was kind of a cowboy business, not much regulation, and people cheated all the time. So we we got screwed out. All right, well now I really need a gig, you know. And that's when I we managed to find a venture companies usually don't want to do startups. They want to do they want to do acquisitions. But we finally found a venture company that was willing to bet on me. And they put up small money, million one point one two five million is what our net was. And you know, and we started value. And uh, struggled for a while for long story, long good reasons. Uh, and then finally, I got to do my superheroes that I wanted to do. And it t- took us about 10 months. You know, it started out okay, pretty good. Went down a little. But each time we introduced a new character, ratchet up a little bit. And then finally, about nine, 10 months later, we really started solidly do- doing well. And, and then we did, you know, the, did Black Solar, sold huge amounts. Mm-hmm. Million, I don't know, Black Cover, Solar. Yeah, and uh, I own it. <laughs> yeah, Great comic. And, and and other things started to really hit. And then we did Unity, and that just put us over the top. And all of a sudden, we're remember I mentioned pre-tax profit. You yeah, know, like, like we were making over two million dollars a month pre-tax profit. Two nice. and a half, actually. So pre-tax profit. And so then what, Marvel, by the way, was making a tenth of that. <laughs> Good. We had eight books. They had one hundred and fifty-six. Right. Right. But uh, one of the cool things about Valiant, and I, I think one, one of my favorite characters that I've collected and purchased and obviously read is Solar. And yeah. you, Valiant, reintroduced the two Goki characters of Magnus Ro- uh, Robot Fighter and Solar. How, yeah, and Turok too, which I, which I recreated. And we were going to do more. You know, we were thinking of like trying to do, uh, what is it, Little Lulu? But, but you no, know, we had rights to all of them. And so we we had we had some plans, but the first two were the you know the the kind of the the best of the lot. So we did Magnus Mag Magnus first, Solar second. Yeah. So it's kind of so why did you choose those characters as a foundation for Valiant? And knowing that though, but especially when you have a character, you have Solar, who once again is kind of became, for lack of a better description, the Superman of Valiant, the the, the identifiable character that kind of the whole universe kind of centered around. And then you have Magnus, who's exists many thousands of years into that future, and you're. So, what what was like the plan to keep that not only a unified universe with those characters, but why choose them as the foundation characters? Well, the way they were chosen as the foundation is that when you're trying to raise money and you just you're trying you're walking into rooms and saying, "No, I really know what I'm doing. You should give me millions of dollars." They they don't know you know what you're doing. <laughs> And nobody's going to do it. So I needed to have some kind of asset to, to, you know, make those meetings go easier. So Richard Bernstein, Western Publishing, Richard Bernstein owned, I think he owned 80% of Western Publishing, something like that. So he was, you know, principal owner. He tried to buy Marvel when I was there. He was one of the people, one of the suitors trying to buy Marvel while I was editor-in-chief. And, uh, and of course, I said, like I said, they ended up with New World Pictures. But, but Bernstein was, was before New World Pictures. He was interested. And so he 
he and his people did what they call due diligence. They sent in their financial people. They sent in their lawyers to, to re research buying Marvel. The other thing you do in your due diligence is you interview the uh, key people like me. And uh, so I was interviewed uh, several times by different people, but, but in particular, two or three times, three times by Richard Bernstein himself. And he had interviewed lots of the other executives and he had found them clueless. He, he, he was saying to me, none of these guys has ever opened a comic book. They're, they're, they're licensing and they're doing something. He said, but they're leaving opportunity all over the place because they don't know what they're doing. I said, tell me about it. You know? <laughs> and, and he said, he, I love this. He said, sometimes I think all I'm buying here is you and a bunch of used furniture. <laughs> he didn't mean me. He meant us, the publishing. Yeah. Because that was the only thing that was doing well. M you know, me and the, the creative thing we built, you know, this, this wonderful you know, creative publishing effort. And so, okay, so I needed, like I said, back to after we didn't get Marvel, I needed a gig. So I went to Richard Bernstein and I, I, I said, he, I called him up. He said, yeah, come on up. Happy to meet with you. So I went up with to meet with him and he said, what can I do for you? I said, well, I said, do you know you own a, a bunch of really good comic book characters? He said, I do. I said, yeah, and they're really good. I said, you know, I, I, I think they could be, you know, made successful. So he says, well, all right. You know, first he wanted to start a comic division for Western, which I would run. And, uh, and then his top executives were against the idea. And he, he told me he wasn't going to cram it down their throats. You know, he says, but I'll license you the characters. Okay. I said, I don't have any money. You know, it might take me a while to raise money. He said, I'll hold them for you. Well, that's when comics were starting to, you know, boom because of McFarlane and, and other people, you know, doing some good stuff. And so all of a sudden, Dark Horse and Marvel and DC, they're all looking for characters. As you know, DC bought a bunch of different uh, characters mm. in that, that era, that general time span. They bought a couple of the image people's, you know, companies and stuff. And I think they got the old Charlton characters, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, the thing is, they were interested in getting the rights to the Western stuff. You know, Magnus Solar. And so was Marvel. So was Dark Horse. So they're calling like every week. Are you going to give up on this turkey? You know, like uh, we, we, we want to license this stuff. We got the money. And Bernstein's orders to his licensing guy were no. Saving them for Jim. And the guy, the licensing guy used to call me up every week. I can't remember his name. Uh, kind of a Scottish last name. But anyway, he called me up every week. Are you sure you're going to do this? It's not going to be so much money. And I said, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. It's going to take me a while. Bernstein held those characters for two years. Mm. Two years. Okay. And then finally, by that time, I'd raised money. Right. So I, I ran into him at the American Booksellers Association meeting. I, it was happening right around the time I made the deal. And so I, I didn't even have to call Richard. He was there at the ABA in Washington. So I walked over to the Western booth. There he was. And I just said, Richard, I'm ready. And his licensing guy then, I remember the guy's name. His name was Jim Pizers. And Bernstein, oh, kind of a high-handed guy. He goes, Pizer, make a deal with this guy. <laughs> Pizer says, deal about what? And he's just, do what he says. 
<laughs> so I got to name my own deal. And I made it as fair as I could. It was like, I, I told him, I said, don't have a lot of my money up front. I said, we'll give you a rich back end. You know, we, if we win, we all win. You know, and, and so he says, okay, that's the deal. And he wrote it down. <laughs> and, and so I had those characters to, to start with, you know. And so then that closed the deal with the financing help close the deal with the financing and, and, and away we went. The trouble was that my partner, Masarski, Steve Masarski, he was a lawyer and he represented, he was supposed to give up his law practice when we started this company. He did not. He represented various mu musicians and so forth, but he also represented Nintendo for media and entertainment and also World Wrestling Federation. And so he... Turns out he started, he had started dating the lady who ran the venture capital company, Melanie Oaken. And so between the stocks Masarski owned and the stock Triumph Capital owned, they had more than me. They controlled the board. And so he says, we're doing Nintendo comics. They control the board. I'm doing Nintendo comics. Mm. They said, we're doing, oh, he also represented World Wrestling. He said, we're doing world wrestling comics. And I would have quit, except that some people who were good people came to work for me. Janet Jackson, Don Perlin, other people. I told Don, don't come. Stay, stay where you are. Marvel's safe. You're, you, you know, you're 60-something. You know, you have retirement there. You don't want to work for a fragile startup. He said, I don't care. I want to be with you. Okay. And then we got a few other strays. Uh, Windsor Smith, who had burned his bridges everywhere because he's can be kind of obstreperous guy. Layton, who was way unwelcome at DC for personal things he did. And, and Marvel, when his contract ended, they just said, we're not renewing it. We don't have any work for you. So he shows up and I give him a job as an anchor. I needed, I needed artists. You know, and, and then we had this miracle from God, David Lapham show up and then some old guys, you know, Stan Drake, John Dixon, Steve Ditko, other people like this. So we had, we had the over the hill gang, over the hill gang, and a bunch of new kids and, and, you know, worked out. I mean, we, we, we started doing some good stuff. Trouble was, wasn't the stuff I wanted to do. <laughs> so, but I gave my best. I try, I try, I figured if I can make. Uh, Nintendo succeed, or if I can make wrestling succeed and start bringing in some money, then I can raise money and buy these turkeys out. Mm. Okay, because they only want money. They don't care about the books. But, you know, neither of those things were likely to succeed, Nintendo or, or World, World Wrestling. And Masarski didn't care. He got a big fee because he was on both sides of the table. He made the deal with himself. And so he gets paid a, a, a big legal fee for doing this because, like I say, he was on retainer for both companies. And he was just trying to get as much money out as he could before he, he never, he never had any faith in it. He just mm. thought we'd fail. Well, finally we ran out of other things to do. He ran out of people he represented and, and I got to do my superheroes and then we took off. Mm. And that, that's, that's what worked. Took, took maybe nine, 10 months before we were solidly a success, but we were solidly a success. And then we were setting the world on fire. Well, you, I, I really did love your solar run. It, it was extremely well-written series, and you created one of my favorite villains in Doctor Eclipse, who, yes, <laughs> he shows up in issue five, I think. First issue five of Solar. 
five. Okay, then I created. Yes. <laughs> oh, I'll just ask you like where the idea came from. <laughs> but no, you, I forget. I, I mean, look, you have to understand at that time, I was running the place until the board told me I had to do something anyway. And there's so there's meetings, financial stuff. There's all kinds of things that are business things that I'm doing. At the same time, I'm directing everything. You know, the artists and, and, and there weren't really any other writers. If there were, I had to rewrite it or fix it. And, and then I'm writing all the books, just writing everything, you know? So I was a little busy, you know, I had a lot going on and I've, I've had people say, you know, yeah, you, you wrote this. I'm like, huh, did I, you know, and I look through it and I say, oh yeah, maybe I did. But at, at any rate, yeah, I don't remember everything. Oh. I, I, it was a little bit of I I I went oh I went over five hundred and forty straight days. When I get up in the morning as early as I could, and I went to bed as late as I could, worked the whole day, right? Five hundred forty days in a row. That's Christmas, New Year's, Thanksgiving, everything. Every day I was in that office, all right, working, mm. and and some other people too. I mean, like on Thanksgiving one one time, my secretary had well, actually. She was the managing editor. She was doing all the hard work. Debbie Fix, she she cooked Thanksgiving dinner for 14 people because we were all in the office all day. And uh, cooked it at home, brought it in, heated it up in the microwave. We had, we had Thanksgiving dinner in the office. One guy say, I want to come and uh, see you. When, when, when are you available? And I said, how about January 1st? And he says, you're not going to be there on New Year's Day. I said, try me. <laughs> so he shows up and there's like 20 people there and he's like why are you, why are you here on new year's day i said because we all we have to fight it with is man hours mm. we don't have tons of money you know and uh, and so and everybody believes and we're all going to make this work so so what the what well one of the major the first mega event for valiant was uh unity yep what was the initial goals for Unity? was it more creative was it more economic was it a strategic goal well, I mean, basically, we had all of this this universe which I put together, and and I don't know if you remember, but I used to do like time and date stamp. I didn't do captions much. There's a couple of captions in there somewhere, but I guess. But but mostly, I if it was a caption, it was the time, the place, the date, you know. And and so because I was doing that, I was able to keep uh, what we call lockstep continuity among the books. In other words, if something blew up in Solar. The kids in Harbinger read about it in the paper the next day. Mm. Okay. And I had, and I was, I was keeping all the books in tight continuity, nothing, you know, nothing uh, going on. I even made Magnus part of the continuity. I, I actually researched and found out like on a, a ca calendar for 4,001 or whatever year it was. So I'd be able to say that was a Thursday and it was a Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and, and put time and date stamps on that too. And, and then eventually when Tholar, Solar crossed into Magnus, that came in handy. But so I had all this stuff in, in real tight continuity. And I'd done crossovers. I'd done two of them at Marvel. And I thought, hey, I'm going I'm to have a story with all of them together, but I'm going to do it a different way. Instead of a separate series, I'm going to have it happen within the regular books. You don't have to buy anything extra. It's in the books. Okay. And then we came up with the idea of doing a, a intro, a 16-page intro book, and a 16-page, you know, what do you call it? Uh, epilogue book. Hmm. And you know, give them away, free, hoping that people would read the intro book, 
the prologue book and then like it so much that they bought the, the stuff. And you're right, it was it was economically driven as well. I mean, it was it was convenient that I kind of set it up without really imagining that from the first, but by, by having everything in total continuity, that teed it up pretty well. And, but I, I thought if we do this right, this will put us on the map. And so we did, we pulled out all the stops. I, I wrote a letter, okay? And I got a whole big pile of Valiant stationery. And I, I we always kept all the email we ever got, we kept on file. We have all the way to database of all the names and addresses, right? So I had one of my people or Debbie had one of my people go through and pull out a thousand names of people who had sent us interesting letters. Okay. And so we had a thousand names and addresses and I wrote a letter to all those people, but I didn't want it to be some, you know, photocopied thing. I talked my mother into this. She was happy to do it. I, I said, I want you to hand write a thousand letters. That's cool. Address them, put them in an envelope and send them to these people short letter and she signed it it was signed eleanor and what it did was it asked people it said it explained that we were doing something big and special they had written to us before we valued valued their opinion and we'd really appreciate it if, if they'd give this this unity series a look and tell us what they think right greatest success in the history of direct mail because we sent out a thousand letters to those people. Now, what we're doing is we're asking you to make a $50 investment to buy $50 worth of books each. <laughs> yeah. Right? And, and we had a 96 point something response rate. Nice. 96, 960 some people read every book and wrote us a, a, a nice letter about it. Almost everybody liked it. So, and then, you know, you, you get a, couple, a bunch of people on board like that and word spreads. They tell people they like this, they like that. And, and, and so Unity sold fantastic numbers and, and put us on the map. So what are, what are you doing now with, are you, are you still working making comic books right now or? I'm, I'm in and around the comic book business. I mean, there isn't much of a business right now. You know, I'm, do, I'm doing some things with Image Comics, Eric Stevenson. Great guy. He's mm. one of those people who knows what he's doing. You know, he, he, he's, he's really a smart guy and uh, they do some great stuff. So he's asked me to do a couple of things and I'm working on those. And in the last couple of weeks, I've been working on a new website for this company, Illustrated Media, which is, they kind of rep, rep, rep for me. They, they get me gigs and they manage things and stuff. And then, so all I have to do, worry about is doing the work. And like, for instance, when I worked for Dark Horse, it all went through illustrated media. I didn't have to think about taxes and stuff. I, my, my personal taxes, of course, but I mean, I didn't have to. It was a pretty big undertaking and we employed other people besides me, Jeff Vaughn, for instance, JC Vaughn, sorry. And, you know, we, we so I'm doing a website, writing some website copy for, the, for that company and but that'll be done quickly. And then, then I work on either the image stuff there's another thing that's pending that might might come up, but I can't talk about it. But but I've, in the in the past year, uh, when everything was shut, I was going to a lot of conventions, and not so much anymore because they're all shut down. Mm. But they're starting up again. I got uh, two of them in the next few weeks. But so in the past year, I'm like, oh, hmm, how am I going to earn a living here? Well, I got an opportunity to write a screen treatment very well 
And I, it was, it's a superhero thing. It's a comic book thing. Mm. Almost everything I do is one way or another connected. So I think of myself still as being in the biz, but you know, the whole business is, you know, it's period of flux right now. Well, I'll definitely say, sir, I, it's been a great honor to, to talk with you, sir. It, 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 you, you're an amazing talent, and I, you've written some of my favorite comic books of all time. Like Solar, I will, I will say, it, I still think about it from time to time when I write about, I think about the character that you created with, not created, but the, the series that you reintroduced with Solar quite often. And I think, like I said, it's just an honor, sir. Well, I thank you. Thank you very much. Made my day. And well, anytime you 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 have you're free to talk about more stuff like you work with Dark Horse, any, Dark Horse. Anytime you have more stuff to you want to promote or talk about, please come back. Okay, yeah. Any, anytime you need me, I'm happy to help. Thank thank you so much. Have, have a fantastic day, sir. And once again, this was a very big deal for me. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Jeff. It was great.